0: Welcome to the Uncommon Senses Podcast. In this special series, Sustainability, where we spill the tea on sustainability, we will discuss issues that centers around the environment and human development, specifically companies, technologies, policies, and individuals. In this series, we have a special co-host, Ms. Leanna. She is currently pursuing a major in sociology and global sustainable development in the University of Warwick. Without further ado, let's get started. As the concept of green and sustainability becomes increasingly popular in business and in more developed countries and regions, green energy development has also been on the rise. What is the current situation for technologies in clean energy and the recycling industry, and what will it become in the future? Welcome to the Uncommon Senses. In this episode, we will discuss our views on the technology advancements in the field of sustainability. So first, let's have a look at the current energy usage distribution in the world. So yeah, maybe I will throw this as a question for Joshua and Liana. Like, what do you think about the current usage of energy in terms of how it's being distributed for non-renewable sources and possibly also renewable sources? What do you guys think?
1: Um. So personally, um, I think that, um although there has been more talks about using renewable energy in recent years i think due to its accessibility limited accessibility and also its cost i think um primarily society still tends to use more traditional um Mm -hmm. sources of energy that tends to be more polluting or as it is perceived so
2: Mm. i think like in the uk especially like Mm -hmm. we have been having like these surging energy costs and like a big reason for that is actually because of how much the UK relies on mm-hmm. like still relies on fossil fuels at least compared mm-hmm. to like other European countries so.
0: Mm. Liana you made a really nice point and I, I will get back to that at the end of this episode because I did find a dude <laughs> a professor and then you know he's he talks focuses a lot of about like UK energy specifically, and yeah, we're gonna come back to that. But yeah, I mean, you guys are totally right. I just, you know, as of right now, I guess this is the common sense that, you know, we're mostly using non renewable sources, and specifically like coal, a crude oil, and natural gas. So mostly these non renewable sources they come from fossil fuels and. The first one, let's talk about coal. Um, so I learned this in my no, environmental science course. So coal is uh, comes from large ferns and swamp plants from 300 million years ago. I guess a fun fact of where you get your coal. And the world's coal reserves are enormous. And all of these reserves have like 10 times greater than oil and natural gas combined. So. We are like possibly we talk about like oil shortage, but I, I don't think coal is you know an issue because, you know, the reserves are really large and most of them are located in the US, Russia, as well as China. And uh, these resources could provide us several thousand years of supply. But then, yeah, coal has, you know, a large CO2 emission and pollutes the air um, significantly compared with, you know, crude oil and natural gas. And yeah, so that's that's coal, coal and the second one, crude oil. Um, it comes from sea animals and algae. Fun fact. And also these crude oil reserves are, I guess, distributed acro- uh, across the world. Actually, most of them are in Venezuela and, of course, in the Middle East, like Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and also some in Canada. These reserves has also expanded throughout the years as technology advancements in extracting oil um, has, you know, developed and become better. Like there is extracting oil in the deep ocean or like oil fracting, all of these technologies and, you know, some of them are kind of controversial, Um, but that is crude oil as of the situation right now. And the third one, we have natural gas and it has become increasingly popular over the years because the carbon dioxide emissions of natural gas is 50% less than coal. However, a lot of natural gas reserves are uh, mostly in Russia and the Middle East, and all of these reserves combined is not just a geopolitical thing, but then these reserves only have a 60-year supply at the current usage rate. They're going to run out of natural gas soon, I guess that's the message. And but then if you looked at like the trend of these energy usages, these non-renewable energy usages, they have been decreasing, and especially for coal. And the future predictions of these non-renewable energies, you know, are projected to decrease even more. So it's currently already decreasing, and it's just projected to you know decrease even further. But then, you know, many still remain skeptical that. You know, at some point in the near future, our main energy source might come from renewable energy, even though that, you know, renewable energy, energy sources showed a positive trend. And then non-renewable are decreasing. But like some people still still think like there's it's it's not going to ever, you know, replace the non-renewables. But then for me personally, I'm kind of quite optimistic because it's not because I feel like okay humanity is great I have faith in it and we know that using more renewables is kind of like the right thing to do but then I feel like the power of money is very important in terms of developing all of these technologies because like if you kind of think it through like at some point the cost of renewable energy will you know decrease like wind energy is kind of drastically decreasing and then the price of extracting fossil fuels from reserves in deep sea and glacier covered regions will become more expensive so then we will i feel like we'll eventually reach that point where it's economically cheaper to produce renewables um so maybe like i can throw some stats in um so currently the break even price per barrel of oil from the middle east is 27 us dollars and then on the other hand let's look at other technologies it costs 52 dollars us dollars of of per barrel for deep water oil wells, seventy U.S. dollars for oil shales, and seventy five dollars per barrel in the Arctic. So the price is increasing, um, through different methods or different regions of um, you know, extracting oil, and, but then also like honestly speaking, there's also quite a lot of oil in the Middle East. So when will that point reach where you know non renewables is more expensive than renewable energy i feel like that point is still up in the air so like what do you guys feel about the future of renewable energy are you guys like optimistic about it like me (laughs) or do you guys think that you know we are human race is ending soon and then you know we are going to keep using these non-renewables
1: yeah i find it really interesting because you know the idea of a transition energy source obviously Mm. that's like a you know, really good idea of trying to um, slowly allow society to adapt to a newer alternative source of um, energy. Mm. But I think also um, some political parties may kind of use this term excessively. For example, in Australia, they use um, they say that gas is a transition energy mm. while they haven't really made the step of transitioning from like um, coal to gas and gas to like renewable energy. Mm. So I think... Um, People will really have to be careful in terms of using the term like transition energy source because um, I think they really need to set a plan of how they're going to transition yeah. from traditional sources of energy to more renewable ones rather mm-hmm. than just relying on these so-called like tran- um, transitional energy source until they kind of run out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I like the fact that you brought out the gas point because, yeah, like I was I just mentioned natural gas previously. And honestly, it it is seen as a huge yeah, so-called transitional energy form. But like it also is it is also an interesting, I guess, like a government policy or, you know, issue like how much of that is, you know, just make make the public feel good and how much of that is you know actually doing work and honestly yeah just just a side side note i guess like this whole thing about advertising or just uh, public education i think that's honestly it can be very misleading because um yeah i'm doing this sustainable fashion research thing and we sent out the survey we got like thousand responses and i'm currently analyzing the data and it was very interesting we looked at some general behavior questions and about like environmental practices and the general public in hong kong and basically we realized that most people say that they will usually recycle plastic and paper but in terms of glass or metal the 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 rate has just decreased like not many people not as much people have said they will recycle a glass and metal um compared with you know plastic and paper and honestly recycling plastic or like reducing plastic i feel like hong kong government did a pretty good job in terms of telling the public to to do so but metal it's one of the easiest things to recycle and then for plastic it's like if you recycle plastic the next generation of plastic is never going to be as strong as the new plastic in a sense so it's just very interesting because i feel like like yeah what do you guys think about you know this whole public education thing about uh know telling uh, telling people citizens to recycle plastic and recycled metal do you guys feel like the government does way more in terms of telling people to recycle plastic compared with metal
1: yeah definitely because i think you know when you see all these different movements for example like the movement to kind of reduce the use of straws like save the sea turtles Mm. or campaigns like that and I think it just makes the public kind of, you know, without education, makes them susceptible to greenwashing because I guess to like an extent, these kind of campaigns kind of just work off of people's like feel good instincts. They want to do good. So Mm -hmm. they try to find like a very fast um, solution to like, um, of like what they perceive to be saving the earth and saving our environment. While I guess in reality, um, the process of really salvaging our like you know trying to reverse the effects of pollution and trying to salvage what we have left of our you know surroundings i mm-hmm. guess takes a really long process like a you know, really long process and i think um this can be really afle- uh, reflected in kind of like consumer behavior and customer like perception because a lot of the times companies and the public tries to find these really, you know, um, so-called fast food solutions, like these quick fixes to mm-hmm. problems. And because they have this really kind of narrow view or perhaps like a short-term view of um, how things are, they kind of want to see, um, you know, them making a difference immediately. But mm. a lot of the time, um, these things really take time. And by the time people really, you know, um, try to um, it, uh, really be, be dedicated or be invested in these kind of efforts, I, th- I think most people will kind of just like um, lost focus or they kind of just moved on to other things. So, yeah, I think it's a challenge trying to, you know, make environmentalism um, a practice rather than just a trend mm. or a fad.
2: Yeah, but I think I think it's interesting you brought up like the straws, the nose straws mm. campaign, because I think like when you said like it, it seems like people are more aware of plastic recycling than metal than I think mm. these campaigns like the plastic bag levy mm. or like the nose straws mm. campaign they make people more aware of like plastic as right. something that is harmful mm. and so it's so it is useful in some way of making yeah. people more like aware.
0: True. Yeah. I mean, plastic waste is certainly is like an issue to you know really focus on. But I feel like it doesn't mean we should just ignore other things and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. I think it's also interesting because um, like a lot of restaurants, like, for example, in UST now, they switched the plastic straws to paper straws.
2: Yeah.
0: And then my supervisor in that sustainable fashion uh, research Like, she she had a talk with us. And actually, like, if you look at the how much if you look at the life cycle uh, rather than just the, you know, the the end of life stage of um, these plastic straws, because I feel like a lot of people look at the end of life things like plastic straws, no good because they don't decompose and they get into turtles, noses and stuff. Uh, but then, if you take the whole process as as a consideration, like the whole uh, life cycle situation from like extracting the raw materials all the way to producing it, I I remember the pla- the paper straws have actually more impact on the environment than the plastic ones. So I feel like it's it's very funny and interesting and counterintuitive. Like I'm just being fooled, or like I'm just you know being conditioned to think that you know the last stage which is you know the um throwing away stage as a consumer I feel like I'm you know I have more control of that decision and therefore I would choose the paper straw because I know once I throw it away it's gonna decompose Uh, meanwhile a plastic straw I end up in a sea turtle's nostrils and there's just I feel like yeah just these advertisements they also have a lot of power in terms of like you know evoking an emotional response from us like you know and (laughs) i I just find that interesting i want to share and maybe i'll talk more about this in some of the future episodes but yeah yeah
1: on a more personal note like we can't we all went to the same like secondary school so Mm -hmm. do you guys remember like for um (laughs) i think it was junior prom they gave up these like metal straws
2: (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) yeah so do you think you know you think Is it a good idea to really give that as a gift? Like, you know, personally, for me, I have never used my metal straws. To me, it's just so inconvenient. And I guess, like, you know, going back to Talia's point, I think it's wasting more water for me to clean the metal straw and buying products to clean the metal straw rather than just, you know, just sipping from the cup or just using, you know, plastic straws even. So, you know, what, what do you guys think? Do you think it's a useful gift? Or do you think it's just like making a statement of some sort?
2: I carry my straws around. <laughs> oh, oh, that's
1: interesting. Ah. Yes. So, yeah. so, um, yeah, what, what, what is the reason for doing that? Um, is it really like um, helping the environment? I mean, I'm not sure. I've never done research on like the pros and cons of metal straws.
2: I don't know either, but I figured if we're gonna use like metal cutlery at home anyway, then you have to wash them mm. anyway. Mm. And, like straws is just one other thing, and also. Like, in Hong Kong, like, during summer, it's so hot all the time that I just carried around with me just in case I want to, like, get a drink or something.
0: My supervisor did mention that, you know, another thing that makes, like, perhaps, you know, metal straws or glass straws or bamboo straws very environmentally unfriendly is that they come up with these cotton bags. um, mm-hmm. And then that mm-hmm. cotton bag, that actually, you know, you know, you, uses up quite a lot of um, resources and emits a lot of pollutants but I feel like Mm -hmm. yeah we should definitely look more into that and let me see if my supervisor can get her on here and talk about it
1: yeah I guess it just depends on how you use the metal straws I think Mm -hmm. so like um I guess, like, as you've mentioned, like, the, the packaging can matter, and also, I guess, how you wash it can also matter. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're using, like, a massive ton of water just to clean your metal straws, mm-hmm. or, like, even, I think people are, like, buying those, like, small brushes, so they can kind of, like, oh, clean yeah. the mouth of the mm-hmm. metal straws. I mean, if you're, like, doing that, like, every other meal, I guess that's very wasteful, but I guess it's actually helping the environment. If, you know, you're using a metal straws, like, perhaps you don't... um. Not not that to it's not that like you're unhygienic or like you not don't clean at all. But I guess if you just use it reasonably, <laughs> I guess yeah, it could really save a lot of plastic.
2: Yeah, so I was just thinking like a lot of these things are about being environmentally friendly because they are reusable, mm. like ideally forever, right? But then yeah theoretically, if everybody has one set already, they don't need to be produced or sold anymore. But then mm. you could you. you you see them all the time in like stores for so many yeah. years so like who keeps buying them yeah and like
0: how how many do you actually need in the world yeah i totally also wanted to make that point like i think also depends on how much you use it if you only use your metal straw like mm-hmm. once yeah. in a lifetime then i don't think that's going to be very eco-friendly and mm-hmm. and also feel like wash like maybe washing the metal straws that amount of water is not as significant as the water used to produce a metal straw because mm. even in producing metal you you need a lot of water and stuff but there's just a lot of numbers and statistics because i think it's super fun to explore um and when we are preparing for this series um liana also made a really good point on this non-renewable energy which is you know geographical advantages So just now we talked about, you know, how where coal, natural gas and like crude oil is distributed around the world. And of course, our world right now, you know, there's these kind of geographical advantages of certain countries and regions with these resources. And we are kind of um, in the middle of a crisis right now. So um, there's a lot of politics involved in that. And yeah, just if we have renewable energy resources, then. Are, are these things are going to happen once again like you know are, are places that have are abundant maybe like wind energy or solar energy going to be you know very well off you know they're, they're going to gain political um significance or like are they going to be taken advantage of by you know other developed countries slash regions so yeah what Liana what do you think about this like firstly with the geopolitical tensions bit. I think
2: it's definitely still going to come up with renewable energies, just like any other form of trade and economic competition. And trade in renewable energy also involves trade and not just energy, but also the technology that is needed Mm. to make that transition in the first place to like things like solar panels. If I'm right, I think China is the biggest producer and exporter Mm, of solar panels. If tension already exists, and then you've already got trade wars and technological (laughs) races, I don't know how that's going to pan out in the future. (laughs) Um, And then also when there's like, asymmetric dependency on like the supply and demand, for, right? Yeah, like renewable energy, then if other geopolitical issues arise, then what if the producers actually have some kind of leverage, like what Russia is mm-hmm. doing now? Also another thing is like, even before renewable energy becomes dominant, there are countries that are major fossil fuel exporters and depend on it a lot and would probably make this transition difficult in the first place. And then within these countries that are very reliant on exporting fossil fuels, there are lower income countries, too. And so generally speaking, I don't know if lower income countries are going to become more influential.
1: Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you. I, I think, you know, there's always going to be, you know, inequality and also like, you know, shifting of different... Um, um, you know power centers around the world because you Mm. know where there's humans there's like hierarchy there will be like you know struggle Mm. over energy and other types of resources but yeah I think um, on the other hand you know you can also argue that um, renewable energy can also um, it's also um, beneficial in the way that it can provide you know more stable sources of energy to places that Maybe well you know, less accessible to like more traditional forms of um you know energy for example like oil or gas which is mostly really localized so mm-hmm. you know an example that comes to mind is hydrogen fuel which can be made from um, both sunshine wind and water so um you know these are kind of the uh, because of how you know it can be extracted from all these different um, types of methods, I guess that um, it can make energy more um, accessible to different parts of the world, as opposed to like more traditional um, a ways of um, energy generation, which I guess is confined within um, where the resources are concentrated. So yeah, but, I, I'm really not sure because like the world is always changing and perhaps in the future political parties are like countries will find a way to even like mm-hmm. um to capitalize on that and you know create even more inequalities so <laughs> I guess it just really comes back to the argument that, you know, nature and our earth really gives us all we need, but it really depends on us, how we use those resources and how we're able to share them amongst like, you know, the human race and amongst different people.
0: Yeah.
2: I was doing some reading on green criminology. It's a very interesting field. One person suggested that because climate change is going to get more serious. People are going to become more aware of it, but then our response to it isn't going to be as good in the future. Because, <laughs> yeah, and the reason for that is because when climate change intensifies and so with extreme weather events and like other kinds of tension and conflict, mm-hmm. so people are going to start focusing on those things instead yeah. of long-term benefits and things like that. So,
0: <sighs> That is and so it- true. <laughs> we are just going to solve the problem that we're facing right now. And in the future, we'll just leave it for the future.
1: Yeah, and I guess that's the, you know, one argument that people will make against sustainability. Like, why do we need to care about our environment <laughs> if it's you know the problem of our next generation? Why don't we just, you know, lead our best lives and you know, waste as yeah. much resources as we possibly can, you know, and leave the problems to our next generation. Like I won't be here to like witness their suffering. So why should we yeah. care? You know yeah. how I'm interested. No, in how would you guys respond to that if someone came up to you and said, like, you know, it's a rather rather you know, selfish approach?
2: They aren't wrong. wrong. <laughs> I just want to talk to you. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, it depends like, on like how are they open to changing their mind? Because if they're mm-hmm. like one of those really hardcore climate change deniers or skeptics, mm-hmm. then there's yeah, you can't get through to them. Yeah. I guess it just comes to
1: show you know the many challenges that you know environmentalists and you know people uh, activists face when they're trying to you know propose change or um trying to um fight for what they believe in
2: yeah Yeah. it's the same like developing countries even now it's very hard for them to get through to developed countries and get them to Mm. own up to their historical responsibility
0: for sure it's only gonna get harder and i feel like just now i think you guys made a really good point it just made me think about you know how should we allocate uh the the land you know like especially when it involves like countries that are less developed like am i going to maybe like me as a a particular developed country comes into a developing country i was like i want to you know buy this piece of land for my solar power or my wind power generation and there's just a lot of things with this allocation of land like should i build this land for you know building these energy and these energy are basically going to you know a more developed country um or you know same thing with biomass you know like corn they're burning it for uh, ethanol they're burning it for energy generation like should I use these foods to actually feed the people who are who actually need this you know it's just you know like kind of what should we do with um this land thing should we make it to develop renewable resources or make it to develop like houses or housing for people and with food should we grow it to burn it for energy Uh, or should we actually use it and give it to some people who need it as their own energy resources? So I feel like, yeah, the inequality is going to become, you know, more increasingly, I guess, problematic. There's going to be more things revolving around allocation and also who has the power. Like, does it mean that the people who has the market power, who can afford it, who is willing and able to purchase these stuff is going to you know, get the advantage and get the chance to make, to decide what these resources are going to be used for. Like, it's just going to be more and more unfair and only the people that has that power can decide.
1: Yeah, and I I guess like, you know, a scenario that comes to mind is that, you know, even with renewable energy, like those kind of like generators and, you know, because even with wind and solar, you know, um, energy, they create their own problems, such as, you know, wind energy is criticized to, um, you know, disturbing the ecosystem of birds. And also Mm. like solar energy is like... um, arguably could like alter the climate of their surrounding areas as it creates it generates a really substantial amount of heat so i guess like a way that people can abuse like renewable energy is just concentrate all these panels and all these like generators on less developed nations so they get all the like yeah. um the adverse effects whereas um you know more developed nations are able to reap the benefits of of like renewable energy and i i I think that would just kind of like you know a, a very dystopian or like fantastical sense that like you get like a Earth with two very different like climates. So one climate <laughs> is like very like you know the de- um de- degraded and like you know mm-hmm. very chaotic a of natural disasters, and one you get this like really blue sky like um white cloud kind of utopia. So um yeah, I guess you know uh. It just really comes to show that, you know, a lot of different scenarios can happen. And I guess, you know, I say, um, like, leaving notes, I guess you can say that um, renewable energy isn't really a fix all like it does have its own problems. And
2: as you've mentioned, like, it's entirely dependent on how we use it.